covering one day after the other. One day after the other, we have come to the closing day of the 10 days Dhamma seminar. When you started your work, you surrendered yourself. Surrendered to this technique. It was very essential. Otherwise, one does not give fair trial to the technique. One joins a camp like this to give a trial to the technique, to give full justice to the technique. And that is possible only when one works exactly as one is asked to work. And that is possible if one surrenders. Otherwise, all the ten days one keeps on generating doubts, skepticism, and one does not work. If one does not work, how can one understand the real benefits of this technique? And even if one works, and works by mixing some other technique along with it, one has not given a fair trial to the technique, because then one will remain confused about the benefits that one has received. One may be thinking that I got this benefit because of the dead technique which I mixed with it. One will not be sure that the benefit is because of this particular technique. So without mixing anything else, one has to give a fair trial to the technique. For that purpose, surrender was very important. You all surrendered. You worked very seriously, diligently, honestly, and gave full justice to the technique. This surrender was only for ten days. Now ten days are over. You are your own masters. Dhamma does not want you to depend on anyone. Dhamma always makes you self-dependent, independent. Having given the trial to the technique, going back home, very calmly, you will review. Review as to what you learned here these ten days. Whatever you have learned here, if you find that it is logical, pragmatic, reasonable, then only accept it. A human being is a rational being. A human being should not accept things which are not acceptable even to normal intelligence. 
If you find it is pragmatic, then only accept. But this is not the only yardstick to measure the quality of the technique, another yardstick. There are so many things in the world which look very pragmatic, very rational, but they don't give us any benefit. Another yardstick, if I practice this, if I continue to practice this, is it going to give me any benefit, real benefit, tangible benefit? Then only one should accept, otherwise not. This is not something for intellectual entertainment. It must give real benefit in life by practicing it. Not only these two, one more yardstick to measure the quality of the technique of meditation. The third yardstick. It looks very logical. If I practice, certainly it will give me benefit. It has given benefit for these ten days. But by practicing it, will any being be harmed? Will it prove harmful to others? If so, not good. By practicing it, will it also be beneficial to other beings? If so, acceptable. If something is acceptable, by using all these three yardsticks, then an intelligent person, a wise person, should have no hesitation to accept it. And a real wise person, when he accepts, she accepts, it will not be acceptance merely at the devotional level, emotional level, it should not be an acceptance merely at the intellectual level. Now the acceptance should be at the actual level, at the level of practice. Then only it will give benefits throughout the life. When one finds that it is acceptable at the actual level, then, then one surrenders. Ten days ago you surrendered because you were asked to surrender. Without surrendering you would not have been able to give a fair trial to the technique. Going back home, when you decide to surrender, it will not be because somebody asked you to surrender. It will be with your own free will. Now you understood. This is the path for me. This is the practice for me. It is so universal, so scientific, so logical, and so result-oriented. I have to live this life. So I surrender to Dhamma. Not with a time limit. Now the surrender will be with a free will, and it will be for the whole life. 
whole life I have to live in Dhamma. Dhamma has to become a part of my life. Without Dhamma, the life will be purposeless. The life of a human being is a real life of human being if one applies Dhamma in life, practices Dhamma. So one surrenders and tries to live the life of Dhamma, life of Shila, morality, life of Samadhi, developing mastery over the mind, life of Panya, developing one's own wisdom to purify the mind, life of Metta, Karuna, love, compassion, goodwill for all others. One has to live this life. Dhamma is Dhamma only when it is applied in life. A Dhamma of scripture is not Dhamma. A Dhamma in the discourses of the teacher is no Dhamma. The literal meaning of the word Dhamma is Dhareti Ti Dhamma. When you apply it, because you apply it, so it is Dhamma. If it is not applied in life, if one does not practice Dhamma, one may keep on playing emotional games, devotional games, intellectual games, Throughout the life, one will not get any benefit. It will be mere waste of time, waste of life. The practical aspect of Dhamma, this alone gives benefit. And you attended this 10 days course to learn the practical aspect of Dhamma how to apply Dhamma in life. This is what you had been doing last 10 days. From morning 4, 4.30 till night, 9, 9.30, you are working, working, very scrupulously living the life of Sheila, very diligently practicing Samadhi, and very wisely developing your panya and purifying your mind. All practical, practical. If it was only an intellectual game, then not necessary to join a 10 days prison like this. Not necessary. <laughs> you could have listened to Dhamma discourses on an audio tape or on a video tape, just staying at your home. Why spend 10 days? Because to learn how to practice it. It is the practical part of Dhamma which is very important. Of course, every evening there used to be discourse. Dhamma talk for about an hour or so. This was 
not for intellectual entertainment. This was not to prove the superiority of this particular sect or that particular belief, nothing doing. The Dhamma talk was to explain the technique, how you should practice and why you should practice in this particular way, just to understand that. But when Dhamma talks are given, although they are meant to explain the practical aspect of Dhamma, but intentionally or unintentionally, at times the theoretical aspect of Dhamma comes to light in these Dhamma talks. And at times someone may have difficulty to accept certain part of the theoretical aspect of Dhamma. Dhamma is universal, therefore people keep coming from different sects, from different communities, from different religions, from different beliefs, from different traditions, having different dogmas, they are all welcome. Because Dhamma is Dhamma, universal, everyone gets the same benefit. People coming from different backgrounds, sometimes, in the first ten days, they have some hesitation to accept certain part of the theoretical aspect of Dhamma. So far as practical aspect of Dhamma is concerned, I have not come across a single person coming from any community, any country, any tradition, to have any objection any religion worth the name cannot have anything against Sila. Every religion will ask us to live the life of Sila, to live the life of morality. This is what one is doing here. Any religion worth the name cannot have anything against a practice which makes us master of our own mind. To remain a slave of the mind is so dangerous, so harmful. To develop mastery over the mind and that too with an object which is universal, the object is respiration, which is not limited to a particular sect or particular religion or particular belief or particular dogma, a truth pertaining to your own self, the breath coming in, the breath going out, Nobody ever objects to that. And the practice of Panya, develop your own wisdom and see how you are generating negativities and you become miserable. You stop generating negativities, you come out of your misery, your mind becomes purer and purer. Nobody ever objects. Because again the object is truth, truth pertaining to your own mind and matter. The contact, contact of the two resulting in this sensation or that sensation, natural, universal, not limited to a particular sect, particular community, particular religion. So the practical aspect of Dhamma is always acceptable <coughs> by everyone, but in theory at times some difficulties arise. So whatever you heard during these ten days, if any one of you 
find that certain aspect of the theory is not acceptable, doesn't matter, leave it aside. Accept whatever is acceptable. Later on, when you realize that what I thought was unacceptable is also acceptable now, then accept it. And even if you don't accept the whole life, doesn't matter. You're not lost anything. Practice is more important. So long as you are practicing Shila Samadhi Panya, Shila Samadhi Panya, you're practicing Dhamma. And you get benefit out of it. It is the practical aspect of Dhamma, which is of utmost importance, utmost importance. There is a story. A professor, young professor, not matured in life, but very highly educated. Number of alphabets after his name. <laughs> a long tail of alphabets. Was traveling by a ship. And in the ship, there was also a sailor, a worker there a very old man, illiterate. Sometimes he will come to the cabin of the professor, listen to his words of wisdom, what an intelligent person, what a learned person, wonderful person. And one day, after some talk when the old man was leaving, the professor asked him, old man, have you studied have you studied geology? What is geology, sir? I don't know. I've never been to any school. I've never been to any college. Please tell me, what is geology? Geology is the science of the earth. Have you studied? No, sir. As I said, I have not studied anything. Oh, old man, so unfortunate. You've not studied geology. You've wasted one quarter of your life. The old man, very sad, with a long face, goes out. Such a learned person says, I have wasted quarter of my life. Certainly, I must have wasted quarter of my life. Next day when he came, again after long talk, when he was leaving, again the professor asked him, Old man, have you studied oceanology? What is that, sir? The science of the ocean, the sea? Oh, no, sir, I have not studied anything. What an unfortunate person. You wasted half of your life. Old man, very sorry, I wasted half of my life. And third day, again he was questioned, Old man, have you studied meteorology? What is this, sir? I never heard this name. Science of the wind, the rain, the weather. No, sir. As I said, I never been to any school or college. I have not studied anything. Old man, you are so unfortunate. You have not studied geology, the science of the earth on which you are living. You have not studied oceanology, the science of the sea on which you travel every day. You have not studied materiology, the science of the wind, the rain, the weather which you encounter every day. Very unfortunate. You have wasted three quarters of your life. <laughs> Old man, very sorry, I wasted three quarters of my life. The next day it was the turn of the old man. He came running. Professor, sir, Professor, sir, have you studied swimology? <laughs> what swimology? Can you swim, sir? 
Oh no, old man, I can't sing. I'm so sorry, Professor Sir. You have wasted all your life. There is a shipwreck now, and this ship is going to sink. Those who can swim, they will reach the shore there. Those who can't swim, I am so sorry for you. We may learn all the logies of the world, and we don't learn symology. Then what's the use of all these logies? And symology also, if you keep on reading books on symology, and keep on discussing about symology without touching the water, then what is the use of this symology also? One has to learn actually how to swim, because one has to swim the ocean of misery and this, the other shore, free from misery. And this is Dhamma. This is the practical aspect of Dhamma. This alone gives benefit. Mere intellectualization does not help. Mere devotionalization does not help. The actual experience and these ten days, this is what you were doing. As I said, the practical aspect is of utmost importance. But in theory, if you find some difficulty, take it out, nothing wrong. Again, there is a story in our country. A mother, out of all the love and compassion and goodwill, prepared a very delicious dish for the child. Very delicious. We call it a dish of kheer, milk pudding made from very good quality milk, very good quality rice, and sweet and dry fruits, etc. A very delicious dish was offered to the child. And he says, no, I won't take it. Hey, what's wrong? I won't take it. It is not in my plate. My plate is more important. Mother had to give the dish. All right, your plate. Take it in your plate. Be happy. Again, he says, no, I won't take. Now it's your plate, why not? Oh, there is a small black little stone in it. I can't take it. It is not black stone. It has its own taste. It is cardamom. You try, it is so good. No, I can't take it. There's black stone in it. There's black stone in it. Poor mother, what she will say. She says, all right, if you think this is Blackstone, take it out, enjoy the rest. Later on, when you realize that this is also tasty, then enjoy it later on. But now take it out, enjoy the rest. The mad child will throw away the whole plate. There was a Blackstone in it, there was a Blackstone in it. So don't throw away the entire theoretical aspect of Dhamma. Whatever you find Blackstone, take it out. Enjoy the rest. <laughs> The mother has given with all the goodwill, with all the love, with all the compassion. Actually, there is nothing like Blackstone. But because of the traditions, one comes from a particular tradition, one may feel, no, this is not good. First thing, it must be in my plate. That means the terminology, the words must be the same as used in my tradition. Otherwise, I can't accept. All right, your terminology. Dhamma is Dhamma. 
terminology doesn't matter so long as you understand the essence of dhamma. And then any difficulty in the theory, take that out and later on you accept it. But the practical aspect, nothing has to be taken out. Shila, samadhi, panya, nothing has to be taken out. Practicing here for 10 days, you took just a very tiny step. Path is very long. That has to be accepted. It's a very long path. A lifetime job. Maybe a few more lives. <laughs> it is a long path. But however long the path may be, the longest path starts with the first step. One was not taken even the first step on the right path, there is no hope for this person to reach the final goal. One was taken even one step on the path, there is every hope this person will take the second step, the third step, and like this, step by step, step by step, will cover the entire path and reach the goal. You are fortunate, you have taken the first step on the path. And I am sure, step by step, step by step, you will keep on marching on the path and reach the final goal. First step is a very tiny step, but very valuable step, very valuable. I don't devalue what you practiced here, but the fact has to be accepted that this is a very tiny step on the path and path is very long. It is like you have planted a seed, a seed planted in a very fertile soil. The soil is fertile, there is no doubt about that, otherwise it would not have come to take seed here. You have your own parmes of the past which brought you here. The seed is planted. However good quality the seed may be, however fertile the land may be, yet if proper service is not given to this plant, this seed, one does not get fruits. A small little plant has sprouted out of this seed during these ten days and now you have to serve it. Like an experienced gardener gives all service to small nursery. This is a small nursery now. You have to keep a fence around it so that a cattle may not come and eat it away. You have to give proper water at proper time, proper sunshade, proper sun at proper time so that it grows. It grows, it grows. It will grow in a huge tree with thick trunk, deep roots. Then it will not require any service. No gardener takes care of a huge tree with thick roots, deep roots and thick trunk, not necessary. On the other hand, this very tree, which took so much service, starts giving us now. Whatever it produces, it produces for us. All the flowers, the, the fruits, the shade, everything is for us, for us. Similarly, this tiny little plant of Dhamma, which has sprouted out during these ten days, you have to take great care of it at the initial stage. You have to keep a fence around it so that the cattle may not come and eat it away. 
You have to give proper water at time, proper time. All the service necessary. And when it grows into a huge tree, then no service necessary. It will start serving you in every aspect, every way. What fence? Which cattle will come and eat it away? Going back home, you will meet your relatives, your friends, members of your community, of your society, and certainly out of inquisitiveness, they are asking you where you went, what you did. And Dhamma is your open book, no secrecy. You will tell, I did this, I did this, I practiced this, I practiced this. And someone, a very confused person, will say, oh, but this is not our religion. This is not our religion. It is so dangerous to practice somebody else's religion, but to die in your own religion, then practice some, somebody else's religion, and you will get frightened. And you stop meditation. Oh, the cattle has eaten away, <laughs> eaten away the plant, gone. You keep a fence. What fence? You tell this person, but look, whatever I am practicing is within this fence, not beyond the fence. And within the fence is sila, morality. If I live the life of morality, what objection you have got? How I am harming you or why, how I am harming the tradition? No, no harm. Within the fence is samadhi. I am trying to be master of my own mind. I am trying to concentrate my mind with the help of respiration. What objection? There can't be any objection. Within the fence is panya, wisdom, to eradicate impurities of the, of the mind, to come out of the complexes at the deepest level of the mind. What objection? And within this fence is developing the good qualities of love, compassion, goodwill, service to others, selfless service. What objection? Nobody can object. Your plant is saved. No cattle is eaten up and it will keep on growing, growing. But you have to water it every day. Every day, morning and evening, one hour in the morning, one hour in the evening, minimum. You have to water it. A new student sometimes feels very hesitant. Two hours of my day, I am such a busy person. How can I spare two hours every day? Oh no, this is too much. Initially, it looks too much. It is not too much. For the first one year, you have to take a very strong adhitthan, strong decision. Let me lose anything at the mundane level, I don't care. But I will practice every day, morning and evening, one hour, one hour. And you won't lose anything. This is only to have a strong decision, adhitthan. Initial difficulties will be there. Like coming to a course on the fourth day, you are given adhitthan. For one hour, you don't change your position, your posture. So much difficult. And practicing, practicing, within 10 days, you start sitting easily. So also, initially, you will have difficulty. How to spare one hour in the morning, one hour in the evening. But having this strong determination, within one year, you find it becomes so easy. And after that, it becomes so easy in life. It won't take even one year to realize that it is so easy, 
you will start understanding that I am not wasting two hours of my life, two hours of my day, every day. Your capacity to work will increase. Your time given to sleep will decrease. Those who are accustomed to sleep, say, eight hours every night will now seven hours, enough. Those who sleep seven hours, they will find six hours, enough. Those who sleep six hours will find five hours, enough, not necessary. So one hour you can easily take out of your sleep. And even when you get awakened, are you really awakened? Lying here, lazy, lying there, lazy, so much time is wasted in that. With a vipassana, for a vipassana meditator, every moment is so valuable. Can't afford to waste time. You will be active. As soon as you wake up, you are active with your responsibilities, with your daily responsibilities. And the capacity will certainly increase. Anyone in any profession, any means of livelihood will find that the capacity to work has increased so much. Before practicing vipassana, if one used to work eight hours per day, at the end of eight hours one felt so exhausted, so tired. Practicing vipassana morning and evening, whatever work one used to finish in eight hours, now it is over in seven hours, in six hours, and yet feels so fresh, feels like working more. The capacity increases. Case of my own teacher, Syaji Ubakin, a wonderful person. When Burma became independent, he was made the first accountant general of Burma. He was born in a very poor family. The family had no money to give him higher education. He just had education of high school and then started doing service here and there. Got a very junior clerk's job in the accountant general's office. And by his hard work, perseverance, he reached a certain stage, a junior officer, when Burma became independent. And naturally, independent Burmese government wanted their own nationals to be heads of different departments. And most of the departments were headed by Britishers or Indians, etc. In the accountant general's office, they found this person, Ubakin, although a very junior officer, he was the only Burmese officer, so they made him the accountant general, the first accountant general of Burma. Before he reached that stage, he had started practicing Vipassana. When he was a junior clerk, he heard that on the other bank of the river, there is a teacher, a farmer, who is teaching Vipassana. Anybody who has got seed of Vipassana from the past, a seed of Dhamma from the past, cannot resist. As soon as one hears Vipassana, oh, it is for me. I better go and try. I better go and try. And this has started happening in him. I must go and try. This is wonderful. But the high officials won't give him 10 days leave. They say, this is the time of budget. Every staff is needed so much, so badly. We can't give you leave. And he says, but I have to go. You even cut my salary for 10 days. No, nothing doing. You can't go. If you go, you will be dismissed from the service. He can't resist. He went. He went away. After 10 days, in 10 days because of his past parmis, he reached such giddy heights in Vipassana, practiced so much. But when he came back, 
there was a doubt that uh, perhaps he will be dismissed. Came to the office and yes, on his table there was the envelope, official envelope. He opened it and this message says that you are promoted. <laughs> now you have become the superintendent of the office, chief superintendent. Your salary goes 50 percent high. <laughs> this does not mean that everyone who come here will get a letter of promotion going there. <laughs> Who knows, there are cases, people keep on writing me, that after coming back from the course, I got this, I got that. But this is not a guarantee, it happens in different cases. <laughs> it happened in the case of Uba Kenan, then he kept on getting promotion after promotion, he became Accountant General of Burma. And the Accountant General's office, like many other offices, lot of corruption, lot of bribery, people who are to take their legitimate money from the government, and the application is filed there, certain percentage was deducted and was distributed right from the attorney general to the uh, accountant general to the uh, peon. They are so good at accounts, so they know what proportion who should get. Now, Uba Ken is accountant general, such a dhamma person, not possible. And he was a very strict disciplinarian. He issued an order that any application comes to the office, the concerned person must give a decision within 48 hours. If there is a complication, one cannot take a decision, bring it to me. I will take decision. One is not taking decision, not bringing the case to me, has bad intentions. He will be dismissed. But that alone did not work. It was Thamma. In his office itself, he started teaching Vipassana. He went to the Prime Minister and told him, Sir, you made me Accountant General good, but look, there is so much corruption everywhere. And unless people practice Vipassana, they can't live a real moral life, a good life. Permit me to have one room where a few, a few workers of this office every month take a course of 10 days. The Prime Minister was also a very good dharmic person. He wanted the administration to become very pure, good. He says, all right, go ahead. And every month there is a 10-day Vipassana course in the Office of Accountant General. And that started giving result. In a few years' time, it was a talk of the town that in Accountant General's office there is no more bribery, no more corruption. And the Prime Minister calls Ubakin. How is it? But is it good or bad? It's very good, Ubakin. But I want this to happen in other ministries, other departments. Look, that department, this department. Well, sir, I am a civil servant. You transfer me there. I will start working the same thing there also. Oh, no, no. If I transfer you somewhere, then again this department will sink. So you be here. And at the same time, you look after this. You look after that. There was a time when he was head of four departments. So huge responsibility and yet kept on working so smilingly, giving wonderful results everywhere. It was said about him that in whichever department he will go for one hour or two hours or five hours and any number of files that will come, any number of cases that will come on his table, when he leaves that office, not a single case 
is there on the table. He gives decision on every case, however complicated it may be. The mind becomes so clean. Any problem, you can go to the depth of the problem and give a quick result and right result. The capacity increases manifold, manifold. One works so much. Vipassana does not make one inactive. One becomes so active, capacity to work so much. People keep on asking me that this teaching is not to crave, not to have attachment. Without craving, without attachment, how can we work? How can anybody work? People work because they crave. People work because they have got attachment. Oh, because you have not learned how to work in a detached way. When you are attached, you are so tense inside, you are so self-centered, I am working for me, for me, for me. And once you become detached, all tension goes away. Now you work. Although you work for your own livelihood, for those who depend on you to serve them, but then a bigger outlook is there. What am I working? I am working for others also. Look, so many people are getting benefited. So many people are getting... Your mind is not narrow now, it is so broad. <coughs> Capacity to work increases. All the tensions go away. Mind is so clear, so tranquil. You make good decisions, right decisions, quick decisions. If this happened only in one person, Ubakin, perhaps people will say that it was some miracle. It happens to so many. Students keep on writing me, my own experience is there, and students keep on writing me that when I started practicing Vipassana every day, morning and evening, the results of my profession are coming so good. I live such a peaceful life, such a harmonious life, and I am so successful in my mundane life also. Dhamma is for both mundane as well as supramundane. Therefore, giving one hour in the morning and one hour in the evening, you are not wasting your time. For first year, all those who live practicing Vipassana daily, they live during the first, first year. Those who maintain for the first year, they maintain easily for the whole life. That is why I say, have a aditthan, a strong determination for one year, whatever happens, I will practice morning and evening. Any time that suits you, which is suitable to your daily program, stick to that, it will be helpful. Any place that suits you, stick to that. On that place, maybe just two feet by two feet, your seat where you sit and meditate, no other activity should be done there, except Vipassana, then you will grow vibration there. Later on you will start feeling good vibration where you daily meditate on the same seat, like you get good vibration coming to a center like this, where people only meditate Vipassana, no other activity. Similarly, in your house also, if you have a place where no other activity is going on, just meditation and meditation also, pure Vipassana, nothing else added, you start getting very good vibration there. Same time, same place is very helpful, but it is not absolutely essential. Being householder, sometimes you may be traveling, you can't have the same place, you can't have the same time, then any time, any place, but don't miss your daily sittings of one hour in the morning, one hour in the evening. Besides that, although very little, just five minutes, but I have seen it gives wonderful results when you go to bed. 
lying down, closed eyes, you feel sensation anywhere, anicca, 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 at least five minutes before you sleep. And morning as you wake up, you must wake up and it will become a habit. You will wake up with the awareness of anicca, anicca. You sleep with the awareness of anicca, anicca. You wake up with the awareness of anicca, anicca. Just five minutes, good enough. You will find whole night this mad, mad mind, the unconscious mind, which keeps on craving aversion, craving aversion. Now got a wonderful job, anicca, anicca, anicca. Whole night will be feeling anicca everywhere. It gives wonderful results. Don't miss that. Every day, morning and evening, one hour, one hour, five minutes before bed and five minutes when you awaken. Besides that, wherever it is possible, wherever in a village, in a neighborhood, in a town, in a city, where you have a few meditators, Vipassana meditators living together, and you can find a place where at least once a week you can join together, sit and meditate Vipassana, a joint meditation once a week is very helpful, but that is possible wherever it is possible. Say whole week there was some storm in your life and you could not meditate properly, not even anapana. You can't feel any sensations, your mind is so unbalanced. And then at the weekend, you sit with a few Dhamma brothers and Dhamma sisters, the atmosphere gets charged with the vibration of Vipassana. And your battery gets charged because of that and you can practice very well and the whole week, next week, you are strong enough. So this weekly sitting has given wonderful results in many cases, but that is wherever it is possible. Those who live near and if they can afford, they can come to a center like this. Those people who live near the center, they take advantage of the center. Besides this, again, unavoidable is a 10 days retreat every year. If you really want to get established on the path, if you really want to see good fruits of it in your daily life, that once a week, once a year, a retreat of 10 days is absolutely essential. You can join a camp like this, wherever there is a center, or wherever other camps are being organized, you don't have such facility, you are living somewhere far, then you can have your own self-course for 10 days. Now you know the technique very well. Just have a room where you can live secluded from others and there must be somebody who can give you a morning breakfast and, and 11 o'clock meal. And the same timetable, the same procedure, the same technique, you start. You take refuge in triple gem, Take eight precept, precepts, observe them, and three to three and a half days anapana, and then vipassana. If you inform your teacher, your guide, a few weeks ahead, good. But if you are not informed, doesn't matter. After all, what the teacher does, even now a teacher or assistant teacher, when they ask you to sit in front of you, there is no hypnotism, nothing doing. What you learned yesterday, metta, first they will practice the same as they ask you to practice. And then they start generating metta. May you be successful. May you come out of your misery. May you not be disturbed by any bad vibration around. This metta, this love, this compassion. And the vibration of metta can reach anywhere, how far you are. So the teacher will just give metta to you, that's all. But even if you have not informed, you will be getting metta. 
Because the law of nature is such. Law of nature is such. Every moment when you are generating a vibration of craving, aversion, ignorance, then all such vibrations in the world, you get tuned up with that. You start getting support from those vibrations and your craving becomes stronger, your aversion becomes stronger, your ignorance becomes stronger because you are tuned up with that kind of vibration. But when you practice Vipassana, you get moments when you generate vibrations which are anti-craving, anti-aversion, anti-ignorance. Then you get tuned up with such vibrations throughout the universe. The saints of the past or present, those who practice Vipassana, you get in contact with their vibration and that vibration starts supporting you. The Dhamma starts helping, provided you work in Dhamma. If you don't practice properly, then you can't expect the results. These things which are least, minimum, and are most essential, morning and evening, one hour, one hour, five minutes in the night, morning, early morning, five minutes, wherever possible, one hour weekly, but ten days every year must. But more than that, if one gets more time, there's no restriction. More time. When you are busy with your daily responsibilities in your profession, in your livelihood, whole attention must be on your work. This is your anapana, this is your vipassana. All attention on your work so that you get good result in your work, in your mundane field. But whenever you are free, even during your daily work, you find that five, ten minutes, you got no work. All right, you are relaxing, open eyes, your mind inside, anicca, anicca, anicca. You become very fresh and again start working. Or somewhere you have to wait, wait maybe half an hour or one hour, you got no work. And if you are not a good Vipassana meditator, you start boiling. Why I have to wait here? And you generate negativity. Now instead of that, you will say, be happy. If I have to wait, I have to wait. All right, I got this opportunity now. Anicca, anicca, anicca. You remain so calm, so tranquil, so balanced. Make use of time. Whenever you find you are free, practice Vipassana. Whenever you find you are busy, then be with your work to get good results. Like this, although you have taken a 10-day course in the year and you find you've got another holidays, five days are there, take a short course, five days course. People come to such centers for two-day courses, weekends. They come Friday evening and go Monday morning. They worked here. They get benefit out of it. So make use of your time. Human life is such a valuable life. Why valuable? Because to purify the mind, to liberate the mind from all the impurities. This can be done only by a human being. Nature has given this wonderful faculty only to human being. What you started doing, observing the reality inside, making an analytical study of mind and matter, understanding how the misery arises, the defilement arises, how it tries to overpower you, how you can come out of it. This kind of work an animal cannot do, a bird cannot do. A reptile cannot do. An insect cannot do. A human being has been given this facility, this faculty by the nature, or if you want to call the God Almighty, and if you don't use this wonderful faculty given to you, then there's no difference between a human life or a non-human life. Makes no difference. You have to make use of the human life by using this wonderful faculty of self-observation, truth observation, and coming out of all the miseries. So whenever you are busy in your mundane life as a family, person, 
then you give all your attention to that, but whenever you have time, give attention to this process of purification, process of liberation. Daily sittings, when you take a short course of five days or two days, then one-third of the period must be given to anapana and two-third to vipassana. But in your daily sittings, just one hour is there, morning one hour, evening one hour, not necessary to give one-third to anapana and two-third to vipassana. Vipassana will remain the main technique. But anapana should be used as and when necessary, as much as necessary. Any day when you sit for meditation and you find your mind is very agitated, then do anapana, practice anapana, 5 minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. If it's very agitated, maybe whole hour, doesn't matter, next sitting will be all right. Make use of anapana whenever it is necessary. You started your vipassana very well, in the midst of the hour, some storm arose, and again you need anapana, start anapana. So anapana should be used as and when necessary, but otherwise vipassana. When you practice vipassana, I keep on reminding, don't start playing games of sensation. Otherwise, you are going in totally opposite direction. If you get pleasant sensation, a free flow, and you feel very elated because of that, you start generating craving and clinging towards it. If you get again gross sensation, unpleasant sensation, you generate aversion towards it, then it is not vipassana. It is totally against vipassana. Understand whatever arises, Keep on understanding its characteristic is anicca, anicca, anicca. I have to come out of the old habit of craving. I have to come out of the old habit of aversion, not merely at the surface level of the mind, not merely at the intellectual level. I have to come out of it at the deepest level of the mind, which is called the unconscious mind, which keeps on feeling the sensations and keeps on reacting with craving and aversion. This is what I have to break. And if I multiply the same habit, I'm not getting benefit of vipassana, it's not vipassana. If you keep on understanding that, you will practice properly and you will get good results. And also see that your practice every day should not become mechanical, moving from head to feet and feet to head, like you count your rosary and you forget what, is, what you are doing. This should not become mechanical. Whenever you find it is becoming mechanical and you are forgetting everything about anicca, everything about your craving, aversion or, or equanimity, then change a little, come back to anapana. If you are moving fast, start moving slow. If you are moving slow, start moving fast, or start moving this way, this way. Come out of the monotony. And don't allow it to become mechanical. The main purpose should always be clear in your mind that I am doing this exercise every day, morning and evening, to change the habit pattern of my life. When I remain slave of this habit pattern and I keep on generating craving, aversion, craving, aversion, it's a big misery for me, very big misery. I have to come out of my misery, and when I become miserable, I make others miserable. So I should not become an instrument to make others miserable. So that point should be very clear, that I am practicing this not as a rite or a ritual or a religious ceremony, nothing doing. This is a mental exercise. As we do physical exercise to keep our body fit, sound, healthy, strong, so, this is a mental exercise to keep the mind healthy, strong, sound. With this understanding, keep on practicing and get best fruits of Dhamma. A wonderful Dhamma, a wonderful technique you've got now. Make use of it. And see that you not only retain it, you multiply, you grow in Dhamma, grow in Dhamma. There is a story back in our country.
last 10 days you have been hearing many stories, many listening, many stories. Perhaps your teacher is uh, an addict of telling stories. <laughs> and you are also getting addict to listening to stories. <laughs> so before we part, one more story. An old man in our country, a very rich man, he became widower. The old lady passed away. And in our country, and perhaps here also, the housewife is the owner of everything. Money, jewelry, property, everything. She keeps the bunch of the key. Now the old lady is gone. And it was a joint family. He had four sons, so four daughters-in-law. He can't give this bunch of key to everyone. He had to choose one. So he calls them, this bunch of key. It will be given to one who gets highest mark, I will examine you. What examine? He gave five grains of corn to each, five grains, five grains. I will come after four years. You have to preserve these five grains. One who cannot take care of five grains, how can one take care of all the money, the jewelry, the granary, etc.? This is your examination. The old man went away. The eldest daughter-in-law thought the old man has gone crazy. For four years, worried about those five grains, valueless five grains, better throw them away. When he comes, I take another five grains from the granary and give him, take your five grains. She threw away. The second one thought, yes, it is not good to worry about these five grains for four years. But who knows, these very five grains may have some wonderful powers, some magical powers, some miraculous powers. And after four years, he will say, all right, eat it. And as I eat it, I get this supernatural power, that supernatural power. I should not throw away. I better eat it now. <laughs> and when he comes, I give another five grains. And she ate them. The third one, very eager to get the bunch of the key. So she kept those five grains in a room where she keeps the statues of her gods and goddesses. And every day she goes and, and inspects them. So she goes every day to inspect this five grain also took care of the five grains all the four years. The fourth one, she took the five grains, cleared the, the land behind the house and planted them. When time ripened, five plants came out with 100 grains each. And the next season, all those 100, 500 grains were planted. And the next season, all the grains were planted. In four years, tons of grains. When the old man came, Everyone had her own story. When he came to the fourth one, he said, they've increased, sir. Godowns are full. Bring some laborers to take them. Old man was very happy. This daughter has not only preserved five grains, she has multiplied, multiplied. This old man has also given five grains of dhamma. Not only preserved them, multiply, multiply. And I don't carry away with me the bunch of key. It is with you. As you keep on multiplying, multiplying Dhamma, you are able to open the, the gateway of the kingdom of heaven within and enjoy. You can open the gateway of the Brahmanic plane within and enjoy. The gateway of the Nibbanic peace within and enjoy. Keep growing in Dhamma. Keep growing in Dhamma. Not to oblige anybody else for your own good, for your own benefit. And also for the good and benefit of so many others, so many others. One little thing more, which I don't forget, 
before closing the seminar. This is of my self-interest and being born in a business family. The tinge of selfishness does not go. It is still there. What self-interest is there? There is a tradition, a belief in our country, and I've been hitting hard at many of the traditions, but I don't hit this particular tradition. I like it very much. <laughs> the tradition is that if you learn any art, any technique from any teacher, and you don't give proper remuneration, we call it dakshina, guru dakshina, you don't give proper fees, proper remuneration, that technique will not work for you. <laughs> I like this very much. <laughs> This is wonderful. Everyone who comes to a course just to develop one's own parmi, everyone gives some donation or the other, but that is for the coming students. That is for the facility of the coming students. What the teacher gets? And teacher must get something. A fat feast for the fat teacher? <laughs> what fat feast for a fat teacher? Every day, morning and evening, when you meditate vipassana, and at the end of your sitting, when you say, I share my merits with all, you may remember me. If you don't remember, it doesn't matter. When you say, well, all beings share my merits, may all beings be happy. This is one amongst all beings. And your metta will be coming to me. This is your fees. Every day, morning and evening, you don't give this fees, the technique will not work for you. <laughs> keep giving your fees, keep giving your fees. Dhamma is so wonderful, such an invaluable jewel. It is because of some very good fortune, because of some very good karma of the past that one gets pure Dhamma. Otherwise, in the name of Dhamma, all these sectarian things, rites, rituals, people remain involved in that whole life and they feel, I am a very religious person, I am a very religious person, when one does not have a trace of Dhamma. You are fortunate. You have Dhamma now. Make use of it. Keep growing in Dhamma. Keep growing in Dhamma for your good, for your benefit, and also for the good of and benefit of so many others, so many others. Before we close this Dhamma seminar, we better practice for a few minutes Metta Bhavna. Practice Metta Bhavna for a few minutes. Better share your merits with all beings. Whatever merits you have acquired during these ten days, and you have acquired enormous merits during these ten days, better share these merits with all beings. All beings. Share your peace and harmony with all beings. All beings. May all beings be happy. May all beings be peaceful. May all beings be liberated. Liberated. Liberated.